This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. You're listening to the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. I'm Jonathan Agnew. Welcome to the Test Match Special Podcast from Emirates Old Trafford. It ended up being a really eventful fourth day as England gave themselves at least a chance of winning the game on the final day. We'll get the thoughts of Michael Vaughan and Carlos Brathwaite shortly and you'll hear from Stuart Broad, who changed the match for the second new ball and from the West Indies opener, Craig Brathwaite. And a little later in the podcast, I'll be joined by the head of West Indies cricket on how he encouraged his players to make this tour. The TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. England leading by 219 runs, a 37 for two at the close. There are 98 overs remaining in the match but there will be two of those lost uh, because of the change of innings. Stokes is on 16, uh, Root is on 8, England turned their batting order around, they opened with Butler uh, to try and uh, inject some real speed into that uh, the half hour or so they had tonight. Well, he got out for naught and Crawley for 11, but uh, it's not a bad little addition that there's 37 runs that were scored, the lead level 219, but the real action happened this afternoon because West Indies seemed to be moving on very comfortably to their total of 270 they needed to avoid the follow-on. And then suddenly England took the second new ball. Stuart Broad took three for one in 14 balls. West Indies lost six for 45 and only Roston Chase's 51 helped them over the line of the follow-on. Shamar Brooks made a very good 68. Craig Brathett... 75, Broad finished with 3 for 66, Wokes 3 for 72, Current 2 for 70. So 287 all out, a lead of 182. As I mentioned, England at the close, then 37 for 2. They lead by 219. Michael Vaughan is there against a setting sun. I can see him in the corner of the commentary box. Well, what do you make of, uh, of all of that towards the end? Well, yeah, England have done the right thing. I mean, they, they bowled so well with that second new ball. It set the game up. You know, they've done the right thing with the batting lineup. We didn't look like it was going to happen. We saw Rory Burns and Dom Sibley charging off the pitch. I thought, yep, they'll, they'll open with their, their orthodox openers and try and tell them to be busy. Uh, to see Butler and Stokes charge out there, I know it didn't work out for Joss Butler, but I think it was good intent. Uh, England looked to me like they're going to try and get another 60 runs quickly, pull out, try and have 85 overs if they possibly can. That's uh, their ideal target to make sure they've got a second new ball later on tomorrow night if required. Um, but because of that spell of Stuart Broad, Chris Wokes, Sam Curran, uh, they've given themselves a, a great chance. We've seen the pitch. It's just starting to play a few tricks. Mm. And it won't be easy for the West Indians to, to bat out the day. I guess if they see off that first new ball, um, there will be a roller that will play a, a, more of a part tomorrow. Um, they have a chance, but it, it's not going to be easy batting last uh, tomorrow, just trying to survive, which England will be able to create pressure by having fielders around the bat. Um, I look at someone like Craig Brathwaite. He's going to have to face this, the new ball on a pitch that's doing plenty, and he's the one batsman I look at that could bat a long, long period of time. And Roston Chase, who's played so well. Um, the rest of them, I just feel that they'll create opportunities because they're more stroke players. They like to get on with the game. So I think England have got a great chance of levelling the series tomorrow. Carlos, mid-afternoon, it just seemed like it was all done, done yeah. and dusted. You're just wondering which of the guys will go on and get 100. Yeah. Who'll get 150. Easy day <laughs> tomorrow. All of a sudden. It's test cricket. Trifa and yeah. all the results are possible. No, it's fantastic stuff with Stuart Broad. You can see what he has, the record he has. But again, with the, bat- the West Indies batting lineup, you always think the one wicket away 
from a collapse and they've done well over the years to have risen from that getting to 20 and getting out getting to 30 and getting out they've progressed somewhat and more per, more batters are getting starts are getting 50s are getting 60s i think the next step in the progression of this batting unit is to go on and make hundreds and then after that to make big hundreds you see how sibley got in and got big um they won't want to do it like that because the stroke players not um i guess accumulators like he is but then you look at stokes who also is a stroke player but he rode out the tough times. Um, he batted long, put a big price on his wicket, and then he accelerated and he went from 60 to 70, got 100, and then he continued to go on. So that is the next step in progression. There has been improvement in the batting unit, but you still always feel as though the one wicket away from a massive collapse, and that's what happened this evening. You, you could have a little bit of a dangling carrot tomorrow, though, couldn't you? I mean, if... if if, if Root does pull out that little bit early because he wants a second new ball and so on, I mean, it's not... You, you, you can't write off a West Indian win. Yeah, you can't, but they won't be looking at that. It would be reckless for them to go into tomorrow thinking, let's set up the game to win. Um, you firstly don't want to lose. That may sound negative, but you put a high price on your wicket. You still go out there about with positive intent as you would on a normal basis. You get to T and you need 80 runs in a session, you, you then go for it. Yes, you build exactly. the foundation first. You don't go out there trying to get 280 and then you find yourselves 80 for 60 and you're scrambling to, to defend yeah. um, to the last session. So it's, it's how they go about it. Um, and yeah, it's the possibility. The bowlers have done well. The fielders is, have done well tonight. Just come on, do it again tomorrow. England needs to force the play. They do. And, oh, I can imagine what it must be like as England captain going to bed tonight. <laughs> all, all the fun, of course, and the honour and everything else of being England captain, but big call tomorrow. Yeah, but it, it, it's better to be in that position than you know, what Ben Stokes found himself in, sleeping yes. on day four in Southampton when you know, his team were going to lose. Um, you know, I think Joe Root will, will have a little bit of Headley a few years ago in his mind. You know, I think that's bound to have some kind of uh, small effect on, a, on his decision. But with the way that he sent out Butler and Stokes tonight, mm. I think it's quite clear that he's going to give himself as much opportunity to level the series. This, this is a series that England expect to win. You know, I think drawing the series is not what this England team is all about. And they've got a chance, as they had chances at Southampton to win the game, this is another chance uh, to go on and win the Test match and set up a, a thrilling last Test match starting on Friday. You know, I thought England were really good today because there was a period where you know, the ball wasn't doing a great deal. Uh, Don Bess was struggling. The West Indies were playing with control. Shamar Brooks and Craig Brathwaite were just strolling it around, hitting boundaries pretty much at will. And then all of a sudden, Ben Stokes got the ball. I don't know why it took so long for him to get the ball in hand. It was over 50 overs old when he did. And he started to bowl bouncers. Then Stuart Broad followed his lead and bowled bouncers. And what that did is, because the ball wasn't swinging and seaming, it didn't allow the West Indies to score quick because they just went into a little bit of a, a defence mechanism. Uh, and then wickets started to fall with that second new ball because the, the England, if they'd have carried on bowling full of length and kind of bowling very English, uh, the West Indies probably would have scored 30 or 40 more runs before that second new ball and, and would have been in a different situation now. So I thought it was really good tactics. I mean, the West Indies didn't use the bouncer at all hmm. in the first inning. I thought England just used that tactic really nicely. Uh, they, they'll know that there's a lot of hard work to do. I, I don't think tomorrow's just a day where you roll up and win. Um, It'll be a day where you expect your seamers, and particularly with the newer ball, to create opportunities. And as I said, Southampton, they had opportunities to win the game. They didn't take them. They've got another great chance tomorrow to win the Test match and go one all. 
What else, Stuart Broadfield? After all that, <laughs> relieved. Southampton relieved. He's taken three for one <laughs> yeah. with the second new ball. Well, it, it, it was relieved because um, you know when that second new ball was taken, he, he had to deliver. Yeah, you know he really did have to deliver because we were all around the commentary box, all t- starting to talk. Wait a minute, the West Indies will bat till lunch tomorrow, and then we'll have a, a couple of really boring last sessions. Uh, who's going to play on Friday? And all the talk was, you know, Joffre will come back in, Jimmy Anderson will come back, Broad will have to go again. Well, how's he going to take not being picked for the next Test match? Well, he showed once again that when he gets on one of those, you can see it in his knees and his energy in his room. Yes. And, he, and he just got on that kind of role. But he put pressure on himself by, by saying those things at Southampton. Fine. I mean, he, he had to come here and deliver, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, today, I guess, if, if we're honest about the England bowling attack that's in this game, it, it, it kind of typifies what they are. Mm. Uh, for a long period of time when the ball was doing nothing, they looked ill-effective. It really was. And England's now going, wait a minute, how are you going to get any wickets? And all of a sudden, the second ball was taken and it did all sorts. And when you've got Wokes and Broad and Sam Croom with the ball doing plenty, um, there's not many in the world better that will put the ball in the right spot with enough energy on to create plenty of doubt on both sides of the bat. And you've got Broad, Anderson, Wokes, Sam Curran. You know, England have got plenty of bowlers who could bowl well when the ball's just doing plenty, as we saw uh, this evening but it's character that's what I like in, in Stuart Ball throughout all his career he's always shown a huge amount of character Pressure Carlos can they take it you've got 20 seconds to go can, uh, can they do it yeah hold out oh, hold you don't sound confident Carlos not as confident as I was before yeah, that second new ball <laughs> I, there, was a, there, was a, there was a look there at the corner of your eye we shall see we'll see tomorrow thank you Carlos for Russian team. thank you Michael we'll, we'll remember that little ooh that little that little glance at the corner of his eye we'll remind him tomorrow this is the TMS podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live now we can get some reaction first from England's Stuart Broad back in the side and taking wickets he's been speaking to Eleanor Oldroyd right Stuart just just talk us through then that spell after tea new ball in your hand how did that feel yeah it was it was great to to have that feeling of taking wickets again you know I think in all honesty, I was probably a bit careful in my first couple of spells. I was just trying to find my feet a little bit. You know, match match fitness isn't just a physical thing, it's a mental thing as well. And having not played since January, it, I think all three of us that didn't play last week felt like we needed just a couple of spells to get going. And um, actually, I think going around the wicket, bowling some bounces helped me get through my action, make me realise what sort of tempo I needed at the crease. And I... Uh, I hit the I hit the crease harder with a bit more pace with that second new ball and and the new ball worked for me you know it kept a little bit low at times uh, I just wanted to hit the stumps and hit the pitch as hard as I could and yeah I think it it was important to get a couple of wickets in in that little period because it, it's given us the chance you know ideally follow on would have been great but it's given us the chance to grow a bit of a lead and still get two new balls tomorrow. Do you feel very motivated after being dropped in Southampton and talking about it so honestly? I'm always motivated, you know. Um, it, it's always disappointing when you when you miss a game, but like Jimmy and Woody and Joffa are no different. This this week they'll be disappointed to miss this game. Um, more rested, I suppose, than missing out this week. But um, yeah, it's always disappointing when you don't play. But you know, you you got to try every time you play for England. You got to try, try and take any opportunity that comes your way. Um, you know, it's 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 probably a pitch here that that would have suited a bit of extra pace, really, with that sort of um, bouncers working, and it it may be keeping low from from 
from length but it's it's great to have the opportunity here um, and great that we've got ourselves in a position that we could win we need 10 chances tomorrow uh, 10 opportunities you know we need to make that new ball count there's no doubting that but you know if we could get West Indies 50 for three or something we, we're in with a great shout I have to say T we were all up there saying this is going to be a draw there's absolutely no way that the West Indies are going to, you know, let England get back into this. So you did brilliantly after tea. The whole, the whole group of you, not 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 just you, but obviously Chris, Chris Wokes and and Sam Curran. As yeah, well. we did. We needed quick wicket, so that was great to have an impact like that for from the bowling unit. Um, and you know, the positive way to look at it, yes, the new ball um, behaved for us slightly differently, but actually. Could it have been the pitch deteriorating? It was. We've had sunshine, we've had wind all day. Has it dried out that little bit more to, to start misbehaving a little bit more, which, which would bode really well for us tomorrow? You know, I think patience is still going to be a, a thing tomorrow. I don't, we can't come out here and try and bowl 10 magic balls. Um, we still need to, to try and hit the stumps as, as often as possible. I think Bessie will play a big role as a spinner. Um, you know, it, it, I think scoreboard pressure is always a really tough thing to cope with and we need to set it up in the first hour so we've got enough scoreboard pressure um, to apply to the West Indies but also let the bowlers go free. And is there a general sense of what you'd like to be defending? I don't really care about the runs, to be honest. I think that having two new balls would be really important, even if it's for four, five, six overs for that second new ball. You know, if we need two or three wickets, that, that could that could prove crucial. Anything over two... 65270 I think as a bowling unit we should be able to defend because a there's times you can shut the scoring rate down here if, even if you go short for a period it's it's quite wide so um, it's quite dangerous taking on the pull shot so you can stop the scoring um, but we you know the, at no stage are we going to under, underestimate what the West Indies can chase because we saw at the Rose Bowl with the GS Bowl last week how calmly they chased that score under a lot of pressure so um, they've got some very dangerous players and um, we'll have to be at our best to get the chances tomorrow. Just a final thought. I'm guessing you, in this test match you've got something you've never experienced before, which is that your dad is on the, the match officials panel. He's the match referee. Have you had a conversation with him about it? Have you had any contact with him or are you not allowed to? I'm not allowed to, really. No, it's, <laughs> uh, we're in different bubbles, I think it's called. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, it's great to have a bit of family support. I think I'm the only one who's uh, got, got a parent supporting and watching. Well, I suppose officially you can't say supporting. but um, He's totally neutral. Totally neutral. But I think if, I, if anything goes upstairs for me, I think it goes to a different person, maybe over FaceTime or Zoom. Um, so he won't actually be able to... Uh, reprimand me so to speak I think um, unless it's for slow over eight etc but if he does that he won't get a Christmas card <laughs> Stuart great to see you thank you well thank you. well done Cheers. go well tomorrow thank you you're listening to the TMS podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live <laughs> well that was Stuart Broad clearly on very good form back in the side and speaking to Eleanor Oldroyd who also spoke of the West Indies top scorer Craig Brethard did at one stage you think, right, we can actually carry on, bat out the day and, you know, make it really difficult and absolutely guarantee the draw and the trophy? Yeah, uh, I thought so. Obviously, when a new ball was taken, I thought, obviously, broad ball very well, you know, some good balls. So, you know, we just, as I say, tomorrow we got to come focus and, and we, we know our job. This has been a great series, hasn't it? These first two test matches have been really, really fantastic to watch. Yeah, that's far, I think. You know, it's, it's been great, you know, going into the last day and both games, you know, there's always 
both teams, you know, looking that they have chances. Obviously, for us, it's, it's merely, you know, to at this point believing to get the draw. But you know, we we, we have to see how the day goes because you never know. I've got to ask you if the new ball seemed to be doing something different from from the old ball, the you know, the, the second new ball when it was taken. Um, I mean, it's harder. So obviously, it hits the surface and it may it may shoot a little more than the the softer ball. Um, so I think getting through the new ball is, is, is always key, you know, especially here in England. Um, obviously, if you see, when we bowled it, it wasn't that easy to, to, to push it off that, that quickly. But I think the new ball, the period there is, is quite crucial. Uh, you know, it gets a little easier as the ball gets softer. When England came out to bat again, um, I wonder whether Kimar Roach and Shannon Gabriel thought it was a little bit disrespectful of them to send out Stokes and Butler as if, right, we can just knock off easy runs here. Um, I mean, we, we weren't surprised. Uh, we know they're going to look for quick runs, and uh, so we just came with our plans. You know, set and set the field accordingly. And, and final thought: Do you think that having a day off yesterday helped you guys at all? Did, did you did you manage to get a little bit of rest and recuperation? I mean, obviously we got rest. Um, you know, I won't say because you know we're here to play cricket, um, but you know it was obviously good to get a rest. Can't do anything but the rain. But, you know, we have a job to do, so whenever we go there, whatever days we play, we've we got to be focused always. What's the plan for tomorrow? Uh, well, we'll obviously see what England does in terms of declaration. Uh, if when we do bowl, got to keep it tight, keep it dry. And, uh, you know, when we bat, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, we just got to bat and bat well. The TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Now, during tea, the West Indies chief executive, Johnny Grave, joined me from Antigua. We discussed the reaction to the series over there and the challenges facing the West Indies in a post-Covid world. But first, explain just what it took to get the team to England for these matches. Yeah, I think firstly, Agus, we had um, New Zealand and South Africa um, due to come here in the Caribbean in July and August. And just because of the distances of which those teams would have to travel, we always knew they were likely to be... Uh, severely postponed. Therefore, I think uh, you know it seemed realistic to say to Tom Harrison and the ECB, "Well, look, we'll be as flexible as we can be in, in trying to get um, or, or trying to sort of prioritise your series ahead of ours, just because it seemed more likely that we would be able to get you know, one flight to the UK than, than it would be for either New Zealand or South Africa to get all the way to the Caribbean." So, um, but you're right. In the very early days, it seemed very ambitious. Um, but clearly the ECB had so much riding on this summer, they had to do everything they possibly could do uh, to try and be as creative as they could to get this series on safely. And, and that certainly was and continues to be our number one priority. So I, I think you're right to say it's great to see the team doing well, but it's also uh, you know, great to see that all the plans that the medical teams have put together have meant that this series has so far gone, gone ahead really smoothly and, and the players have been very, very safe. And I mean, you're in Antigua now. I, I, do, do, do you think people there realise how how grateful everyone here is? Uh, obviously, not just to try and salvage uh, the, the ECB situation, but just to get some live international sport. How, how grateful people are that the team has come. I, I don't know. I mean, I certainly think it's it's been a boost for the region to see the team playing cricket and playing so well. And I certainly think it's been brilliant for Test cricket for the world game to restart with with. With all the eyes of the world watching, you know what was in that first Test match, you know, almost the perfect restart, which was a, a final session on the final day with both both teams having a, a possibility of winning. So I think for Test cricket, really to sort of 
um, be the format that, that world cricket has returned to the screens has, has been great all round, really. Yeah. So when, when the first approach came then and, and you started talking to Tom Harrison and the, and the ECB, uh, did, did you know what this whole bio-bubble situation would be? I mean, was that, was that sort of one of the first starting points or, or did things evolve into that? I think um, the first, you know, I think what was very clear was that any series would have to be behind closed doors. And I think we knew from our discussions with ECB that certainly British horse racing and potentially the Premier League and football were likely to go back slightly before us. Um, so I think that definitely helped. Um, and that we knew that the possibility of chartering a plane from the Caribbean to the UK was also a possibility. So I think, um, you know, reasonably quickly it became apparent that if, if we were going to have any chance of the series taking place, you know, the earliest was going to be um, early July for the first match and was almost certainly going to be a charter flight and behind closed doors. But obviously with the improvements that have been made to the test match grounds in particular, you know, those at Old Trafford and, and at the Rose Bowl, um, and I guess to a certain extent Headingley and others that now have hotel facilities on site, the ability to sort of players to become completely self-sustained and, and, uh, and remain within the confines of a cricket ground uh, within the UK are now possible. So um, it didn't seem that far-fetched um, from fairly early on that there could be a plan that would be medically safe and that would get UK government approval. Yeah. What, what's interesting, of course, is, is that the Caribbean is relatively COVID-free, if you look at the numbers in other, in other parts of the world, uh, and including here, of course. So to actually take responsibility, if you like, in trying to encourage the players to come. How did you feel about that yourself? I think we always, you know, we, we've got some experience of having taken our men's and women's team to Pakistan in recent times. And I think we just relied on that process to very quickly get the players on board with the discussions to, so they could start to get an understanding of what might happen and that it was, you know, a possibility, albeit you're right. I mean, look, thinking back to May and the start of May, the, the sort of what we were reading in the papers from a COVID-19 point of view, it, it did seem at times, you know, you know, are we really doing the right thing? But I think as the plans developed and as the medical teams got more and more confident and that sort of um, sort of ran parallel to this to the status of COVID-19 in the UK, which was on a daily basis getting better and better. Um, I think when it actually came to ask the players, they'd had probably almost a month to think about it. Um, yeah. And certainly the thing here in the Caribbean, we'd been so focused on the plans in the UK, we suddenly realised you know, how are we going to get players from Guyana uh, and Jamaica all the way into either Barbados or Antigua to actually get on the plane. So it very quickly then became we had to, to think through our logistics, which was not just getting the players into one hub, to, to be able to get on that transatlantic charter, but also to test all the players, get the results back um, and get permission of the governments for, you know, charter planes to land at international airports that were closed. So, um, yeah, it was a huge that, amount that of... That really is. Yeah, that's, that's a huge... That must have been logistically, because you are talking about a different government for, for every country, every island out there. I mean, that, that must have been a, a huge process as well. Yeah, it was, and it was obviously something that we didn't really entertain until it, it became apparent that the, the UK plans were going to be safe. Um, but again, we, we do get enormous support from the governments here, and um, I think everyone wanted 
uh, this test series to, to, to restart as long as it was safe to do so. So when we asked the governments for their permission uh, to land the charter flights and for the players to, to leave, um, we got huge support very, very quickly from everyone, which was fantastic because any delay in any of those um, permissions or if we'd run into any difficulties, um, you know, really would have put the whole logistics um, in, in real jeopardy. Yeah. Of the three players who, who, who declined to come, I mean, did you simply leave it at the first, the first request and they say no and that's it, you don't put any pressure on? Or did, you know, did, you, did you try and persuade at all? No, we, I made it very clear that we weren't going to try and persuade or coerce anyone to go. But what we did say to the players is that they kind of let us know on the weekend before we were having a call or a final call with the ECB medical team. So I just said to, to all three of them, would they, would they like just to join that call on what was then the Monday um, and just listen to the final plans and then come back to us by Tuesday along with the other players, whether they were still of the opinion they didn't want to talk. Uh, all, all three of them actually took that opportunity up. And whilst I didn't really think they would change their, um, their minds, um, I think it was good that they at least made that decision with all the known facts so that, you know, they weren't going to be sitting in Trinidad or Guyana sort of looking at what, what, what's now a test series going on with any regrets. And I, I certainly hope that they don't feel like that because um, every player had the right to make that decision, not just based on their own opinions, but also that of their families. So, um, yeah, no, we fully respected their decision and we're never going to coerce anyone to try and go. It's the last one on the bubble and everything. Um, it went, when it was discovered that Joffre Archer had gone home and there were all these phone calls uh, frantically trying to make sure that everyone was still happy with the situation, did you do any more persuading as a result of that breach or not? No, not at all. I think um, we've been really impressed by the ECB medical team and they've done a fantastic job in keeping us really informed. So our medical team knew immediately what had happened. Um, the protocols, you know, had allowed or almost predicted what, what happens in these types of scenarios. And obviously we've experienced that when Phil Simmons um, left the bubble of Manchester to go to his father-in-law's funeral. So we knew what the protocols were. We've also had, you know, selectors come in and, and leave. And, and all of that has been you know, given to us in advance by the ECB. We've agreed the protocols. We said we're happy with them and, and they've been adhered to. So, um, yeah, we had no reservations at all with the medical plans once we knew what had happened and how the ECB were dealing with it. And so you're now focusing presumably on the, on the Caribbean Premier League, of course. Have you, have you sort of nailed down precisely where it's going to be and when it's going to be and how it's going to be played? No, I think um, the jigsaw that we're now doing is um, ever-changing. So you're right. right. I mean, ideally, the players would come back you know, almost immediately go to the, for those that have CPL contracts, head to Trinidad um, for what will be a mandatory quarantine period there because the Trinidad uh, borders are not open yet um, and their airport is shut. So they will have to go through a quarantine there before so the CPL can back start. Back into isolation again for them. Correct. And then, um, oh you know, we're, we're then trying to get South Africa here. But, you know, we original plans were trying to, you know, get the South Africa tour on. Um, prior to the World T20 and if that's postponed then you know, we're hearing now that maybe the IPL might start earlier than the World T20 which may even curtail that which means you know, from a West Indies point of view we won't have really hosted any meaningful uh, full member cricket since India left here in, in August last year which is um, going to prove an enormous challenge for us um, from a financial point of view but um, look, these, these plans are changing all the time and every day 
creates new challenges and sometimes you get positive news and sometimes you get setbacks. So, um, yeah, we very much hope the CPL can happen. It's a really important tournament for us. Um, you know, ideally that was preparation for the World T20, but if that is postponed, you know, then we just hope that we've got time to host some international cricket here in the Caribbean before we have to shut down again for another, I don't know, six, six weeks, two months for the IPL. Um, and then really because we're really now having to play our home cricket um, in a similar English summer window, um, you know, potentially we're looking at not until July when Australia are due to come here to get any cricket, which is, yeah, going to be an enormous challenge for us. Yeah, financially, I mean, that, that's, that's pretty frightening, isn't it? It is, yeah, and, and look, we, there's, there's still so much uncertainty and, and what I would say is that, you know, the, the lengths that the ECB and our medical team have gone through to get this, this test series on can't be underplayed and therefore to think that, you know, hosting any cricket at the moment, particularly when you're hosting multiple teams and, and international players, you know, is an enormous, enormous challenge to make sure that you abide by government protocols as well as obviously your own standards to ensure players are kept safe. So, you know, I think the world of cricket, you know, needs to understand that getting international cricket on safely, um, or even domestic cricket on safely, especially when people are in our, in our world, you know, traveling international borders and coming from different countries, it, it's an enormous challenge. So um, cricket is gonna be, um, you know, it's, it's not now this series is on, we're back to every series just sort of taking place. Getting every single one on is gonna take real logistical and medical um, protocols and um, yeah it's going to be an enormous challenge for everyone yeah do you think this series has, has proved that it can be done though it's maybe shown shown a way forward for other countries yeah certainly it has but I, I think you know seeing the plans and, and not just the plans but the financial investment ECB have had to make you know it's 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 not something that's going to be possible for, for everyone to do um, so you know and while some countries might have you know an economic need to, to drop standards um, for in terms of quarantine requirements, testing requirements. You know, I think certainly we, we would want to keep very tight protocols around ensuring our players' safety. So, um, yeah, it, it's, um, it does provide us with a roadmap and a, and a sort of a formula to get cricket back on. But, but for anyone to, to think that it's been easy for the ECB or, in fact, us to do so um, would be underplaying it massively. It's been an enormous challenge and and come at enormous cost and um, it certainly won't be easy for everyone in the world to to provide um, this this sort of um, blueprint um, to get cricket back on. Yeah. Well, Johnny, I know everyone listening would want to show uh, their appreciation for, for your team coming and all the hard work that's entailed. Thanks ever so much for talking to us. We'll, we'll catch up with you again soon somewhere. Pleasure. Cheers, Agus. That's the West Indies Chief Executive, Johnny Grave. You can watch a full hour of highlights on the BBC iPlayer in our Today at the Test programme and video clips also on the BBC Sport website and the app. And we're back on air at 10.15 for what could be a very exciting final day. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Jürgen, Jürgen, you're a big fan of the BBC Sounds app. Oh yes, oh yes. Well, we've heard reports that you've been enjoying the Football Daily podcast on it. I loved it. That makes me quite happy, to be honest. Jose, Football Daily is bringing top analysis and comment on BBC Sounds. How do you feel about that? Of course, it's the best thing in football. Are you a fan, Oli? Yeah, I love that. Wow, this is massive. Pep, Football Daily has some big name guests. Are you excited to listen? This is good news for us. The team is really good. Listen to the Football Daily podcast on the BBC Sounds app.